Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I want to begin, I want to tell you guys a little something about me. This is the way I start just about every message. I am not a fan of surprises. I'm not a fan of surprises. I tend to be a surprise ruiner. I'll tell you a story. Uh, it's been maybe eight years ago. Uh, Jerry planned this surprise for me for my birthday. And uh, we were living in Columbus. And, and so we were, uh, we were getting ready to leave. And of course, I, I can't stand the suspense that comes with not knowing right? Uh, so I, I'm trying to figure out where we're going, and, and I figured it out. I spoiled the surprise. Uh, we were going to this nice little German restaurant in downtown Columbus, and uh, it's fabulous. If you ever go to Columbus, go to Schmidt's. So we went to Schmidt's. We had this nice meal, and I was like, all right, cool. So I sort of like settled in because I don't like surprises. So we had dinner, and she's like, well, you know, you kind of spoiled it. Is that okay? It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind of would prefer it. Um, and so after that, she was like, well, we still have time. You know, her mom had come to watch the kids. Our Eden was three months old, two months old. Um, so her mom was watching the kids. And so we said, we still have time. Let's go. You know, she knows I like live blues music. And so she's like, I wonder if there's any live blues in Columbus area tonight. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do that. So she searched and miraculously there was live blues music happening that night. So we went to this bar where they had this live blues, and we get there, and the band is just sort of setting up and tuning and, you know, getting, getting all prepared. And we sit down, and, and, you know, I'm looking for this. I sit at this little two-seat table, and she's like, well, let's sit over here in the corner. And it's this giant table. There's like eight or ten seats. I don't know. Um, and, and so we sit at this giant table, and uh, kind of waiting for the, the music to start, and all of a sudden I see these two people that I know walk in. And I was like, whoa, what are they doing here? That's cool. And they sat down at our table. A couple minutes later, two more people from our small group walk in. So I was like, this is amazing. Everybody happens to be showing up on the same day at the same place. Who knew? The third couple walks up, and I was like, wait a minute. I was surprised. She pulled off a surprise that I didn't ruin. And while I'm grateful, very grateful for that, I was going to try to pull a picture of this. There's, there is a picture floating out there somewhere. Um, you probably have it. But uh, while I was grateful for that surprise, generally speaking, I don't like surprises. One of the things I've learned about myself, especially over the last 10 years, is I really don't like to be surprised. I want to know what's happening. And if you know anything about my, the way my brain works, you kind of understand that. I want to know what's happening. In every situation I show up in, I want to already be prepared. How many of you actually like surprises? Show of hands. There will be prayer for all of you later. Because you're wrong, and that's okay. Um, one of the things that we all have to discover as we come into the kingdom and one of the things that I have had to grow in understanding of is that the kingdom is full of surprises. I don't know if you've discovered this. I, I, I don't like surprises, and it's made it really hard for me to step into so much kingdom ministry. 
It's been something that I've had to shift and, and surrender over and over and over again because I want to know what's going to happen. Even standing here, I want to know how this is going to end, right? I don't want to be surprised. And yet, because the kingdom is not mine but God's, the kingdom is full of surprises. And it's something that we have to grow accustomed to is the fact that God will surprise us. Have you ever been surprised by God? Anybody not been surprised by God? Nobody. Great. So you all know what I'm talking about, and you all know maybe why this would drive me a little bit crazy. But surprises are part of the kingdom. We began this series two weeks ago called Breakthrough um, about the kingdom of God. And what I said a couple of weeks ago is, if there's one thing that you could understand that will revolutionize the way you understand Jesus and, and Christianity, it's understanding the kingdom of God. It's this one keystone belief that if you understand the kingdom, you'll understand so many things. So we began this series a couple of weeks ago, uh, and what it's important to remember, I told you the first week, is that the kingdom of God is not like a place you find on a map, right? If you think about the United Kingdom, right? Um, most of us could look at a, a global map and go, well, there's the United Kingdom. It's bounded by the little, you know what it looks like, right? Little. It's up there north in, in Europe. Um, but it's not like the kingdom, uh, the United Kingdom. The kingdom of God is actually where God gets his way. The kingdom of God is where God's will is perfectly done. And as Evan talked about last week, already and not yet, the kingdom of God has come, and yet for a season, it's not yet fully here. And so as we experience life in the kingdom, we experience that sometimes the things God desires happen. Right? The things that God wills happen. But for a season, for whatever reason, God in His providence knows, His will is not always perfectly done. And yet we know that there is a day coming when God's will will be perfectly done. Right? We understand that, that the kingdom is already here, and yet it's not yet fully here. But when Jesus returns, God's will will be perfectly done. So that's the essence of, of this series. And so I started by talking about how the kingdom of, of God in our world is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. You'll remember that if you missed it, it's on the podcast. Last week, Evan talked about already and not yet. What I want to talk about today is how the kingdom of God does not fit our expectations. The kingdom of God does not fit our expectations. And I'm calling this message, The Surprising Kingdom. Let's pray and then we'll look at Scripture. And so Lord, we do just acknowledge your presence in this room. And God, you have been present and active already today. And so God, I ask for more. I ask as we speak your word, as we look at the word that you have left for us, God, that you would breathe on it that it would come to life, that there would be life in these words, Lord. Would you fill me? Would you enable me to speak as I should? God, I pray that you would put power on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I'll give you just a second, because most of you will do it on your device, and it comes really, really fast. Uh, if you happen to have the same Bible I do, it's on page 885. They only had like two of these at Ollie's, so you probably don't. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to begin at verse 1, and here's what we read. 
After Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now let's pause right there for just a minute. That's a pretty powerful question, isn't it? To ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Let me kind of highlight why that's such a powerful question. John, who's, who's labeled there or listed there, is John the Baptist. If you uh, are a Bible nerd like me and you thumb back to the beginning of Matthew or Mark or Luke, you can find that John the Baptist is this guy that God calls to announce the coming of the Messiah. This long-awaited hero, the Messiah, is coming. And so John is, is out calling people to repentance, right? He's out there baptizing people, And Jesus comes, if you remember this part, Jesus comes and John says, there he is. The guy we've been waiting for, the Messiah is here, that's him. And he baptizes him. And you know, there's a little squabble, right? You know, like, no, I can't baptize you. And he's like, yeah, you have to. And so then he does, right? I mean, who could argue with Jesus, honestly? But he ends up baptizing Jesus and then What happens shortly after is that John gets arrested. Okay, so so think about this for a second. John says, Jesus the Messiah is right here. Baptizes him and then goes to prison. So if there was ever a time to get stuck in a Roman prison, that would be the time. Let me explain to you why. All along in Jewish history, they were waiting for a Messiah to come, and this guy that was long awaited was a military hero. It's a guy like David. You know, if you remember the Old Testament, David comes in, he kicks out all the, uh, the, the possessing nations, and he establishes peace in Israel. And so the foretold Messiah is going to do the same thing. So here we are, in Jesus' day, the Romans occupy Israel. And John gets arrested right after he says, that's the Messiah. What's he thinking? Oh, that's a good time to go to prison if there ever was one. Because he's going to do the revolution. He's going to overthrow everything. Peace is going to come. I'm going to get let out of jail, right? Except for it doesn't happen. From chapter 4 to chapter 11, that's a little bit of time, right? And John is waiting in prison. And he's kind of like, hey, uh, how long are you going to wait? Like, I know, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do this whole, whole revolution thing, and I know you got to build up a, a military, you got to get these guys in order, so you get this military going and we're going to overthrow this government, but man, that's, that's seven chapters. It's taken a while. It's a little bit like, you ever, you ever do those fireworks that have the big tube, you light the thing, you drop it, and you run, right? And then if you wait a little bit too long, you start going, maybe something went wrong, right? But you never want to go walk and put your face over it, right? It's a little bit like that, like... Okay, when are you going to do the thing? And Jesus' disciples, or uh, John's disciples, come back to him and they start saying, well, here's what Jesus is doing, right? John doesn't know these things. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. The blind are seeing. All these things. And John is in prison going, wait a minute. (laughs) What about the revolution? Am I going to die in here? 
And so he says, hey, uh, are you going to do the thing? Are you the guy we were expecting or was I wrong? Is the question that John is asking. But here's the thing. He's not the only one asking that question. The disciples, if you ever sit down and read, I'll give you the shortest one, the book of Mark. Sit down and read Mark. Mark, uh, as scholars would say, that this is uh, Peter's preaching notes. Okay, so Mark kind of compiles these, these uh, notes from Peter. And over and over and over through the book of Mark, Peter's like, we didn't know. We just didn't know. We thought he was going to be this. He wasn't this. You know, instead of doing Messiah-like things, instead of doing revolution-type things, we're not really building an army. We're wandering around on a social campaign. You know, we're praying for people, seeing people healed, and that's cool. We're like calming the wind and the waves, and that's amazing. I mean, in uh, Mark 4, 41, uh, the response the disciples give are like, who is this guy? We were looking for a military warrior, and here's Jesus off here like he's playing cloud control, right? Just stop. He's not doing the things that we expected. And why do we expect those things? Why was this the expectation? Well, it's the expectation because in Isaiah 9, uh, 6, there are these verses like this. And we, see, we read this around Christmas, right? This will sound familiar. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's why they thought Jesus is going to come and kick butt and take names, right? I don't know if you've ever read that, but that's like a prophecy of what, the, of what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so these guys held on to this thing, and yet there's a crisis of expectation. Do you see that there's a crisis of expectation? That's the only reason John asks this question. Like, you're not doing the things that we thought you were going to do. The disciples are like, he's not doing the things we thought he was going to do. Even after Jesus is raised from the dead, Acts 1, he, the, the disciples still don't get it. It says this in Acts 1, uh, verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Is it now, finally, that you do the thing that we've been waiting for you to do? Because after Jesus was crucified, he's, the Romans were still in charge. And after he was resurrected, the Romans were still in charge, and they're kind of like, hey, we've been holding on to Isaiah 9, 6. When are you going to do the thing? Jesus, you're not doing what we want you to do. And the reality is, the kingdom of God never fits in the expectations that we have for it. Jesus never fits the expectations that we have for Jesus. John got a different Jesus and a different kingdom than he expected. And you know, that's true for a lot of us here today, that our expectations are not met by the kingdom of God. The kingdom doesn't fit within our expectations. I would imagine most of us here, that, that that's true. Maybe you're here, you're not even a follower of Jesus. You're like, I don't know how I think about all this stuff. And my expectation of what the kingdom is and what Jesus is, is Jesus is hateful like those people who used to treat me badly. And he will reject me just like they did. And maybe that's the expectation that you have. And yet Jesus wants a relationship with you. 
Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a little bit of time and you see this stuff about healing the sick and casting out demons and you're like, I don't know if he even still does that stuff. It certainly doesn't fit within my understanding. So he's probably not going to use me. And yet Jesus invites you to participate with him. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Been following Jesus for decades. And yet there are some things about the kingdom that can't be contained within your understanding. One of the things that I've noticed about mature Christians, maybe you've noticed this. Mature Christians say this when they pray. Have you ever heard this phrase? Let's see what God wants to do. If you're new to this, doesn't that seem like a little bit like, shouldn't you know? Like, we were at the conference last, uh, a week and a half ago in Phoenix, and you know, this is all this like long-time vineyard pastors and leaders, right? And they're like, you know, you're going to get prayer, and so you're sort of standing there and like, what do you need prayer for? And they're like, you, just, you know, like, well, there's this thing that they just called out, whatever. And instead of going, all right, well, God's going to deal with that, they go, let's see what God wants to do. And you're like, if you don't know, man, what hope do I have? And yet there's this humility that comes in that, isn't there? It's sort of like an expectation that I don't know what to expect. That this is sort of a mature Christian phrase. I want to tell you a story while we were at the the conference last week. Um, Jerry and I are part of the the small town vineyard team. And the purpose of the small town team is to plant vineyard churches in small towns. That's why it's named the small town vineyard team. And to support vineyard pastors in small towns. And so we're part of this team. We had this Thursday night, this like, lunch information session, right? And so she had a part to to speak. I had a part to speak. And then at the end, we had this prayer ministry time, okay? Let's just just pray for people. And there was this lady who came in who was not at all part of the thing. She just happened to be walking by the tent, and she felt like she had to come in. So she comes in, and she's like, you know, I'm getting ready to plant a church in a town for the second time. I mean, I've done this once. It's painful once. She did it once, It didn't work, and now she's going to do it again in the same town. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'll I'll pray for you, you know, like, and I'm, you know, in my mind, here's what I think is about to happen, right? We're going to pray for you. We're going to bless you. You're going to feel all encouraged, be really excited, and you're going to, yeah, we're going to go do it, right? So we start to pray, and this is what I think is going to happen. And by the time this is all done, we're casting a spirit of fear out of this lady, and like delivering her, I mean, there, a full-on deliverance in this, in this tent. And at the end of it, she goes, I didn't know that was there. And I was like, I didn't either. I mean, that's not probably what you want when somebody's praying for you, but. Where I thought this was going as an encouragement, what ended up happening is what God wanted. That my expectations were not met. And if you do this long enough, what you understand is that the expectations that you put on the kingdom, oftentimes... They don't hold the kingdom, do they? Have you been in this long enough to see that? Where you show up with expectations about what's supposed to happen, and yet God has a different idea. He wants to do something else. And in the end, we go, are you the real Jesus? Or should we expect someone else? I'm not really sure what's happening here. Have you been in it long enough to see that? Because this is something we never actually get good at. Do you know that? Like this, this there, if you do this thing of following Jesus long enough, you never actually really get good at it. You get more dependent. 
Like, that's how this works. You don't get good at praying for people. You just keep praying for people, and you keep hoping that God's going to do something. And because he cares more than you do, he does stuff. But all you get is more and more dependent. You take another step off the ledge, and you go, God, if you don't put something under my foot, I'm going to fall. We never get good at this. We just get more dependent, and we become more aware of our dependence. So John asks a question, and in verse 4, Jesus answers him. Here's what he says. Pick him back up. Chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Oh, that that would be a description of the church today. What if we could just say that that was the case? What if people are like, is the church doing anything? Well, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Don't you think that'd be a pretty good description of the kingdom of God among us? And Jesus finishes it and says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. If you're not up on it, what you'll miss is that Jesus responds to John's Isaiah objections with more Isaiah responses. This is a summation of a number of Isaiah passages, such as Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, where it says, this is the kingdom, when the kingdom comes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. He says that's what's happening now. Or Isaiah 61.1, some of you have heard this one. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the, from the prisoners. See, Jesus goes, I, I'll, I'll see your Isaiah 9.6 problem, and I'll raise you a few more passages. He says, You saw that, but you missed all this. All of Isaiah focuses on what it will look like when the kingdom comes. And what's fascinating is that a majority of the Israel culture had blinders on to this. The majority understanding of when the Messiah comes was that he would be the 9-6 passage. And yet Jesus goes, all the stuff that you're looking for is happening. How is it that they miss that? I mean, how is it that, like, you know, 2021, you and I have the Old and the New Testament, right? We can read it, and we sort of have some hindsight, and we kind of see this and we go, gosh, I don't know how these guys missed it. I mean, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, especially after I told you it's in Isaiah, right? It's easy to find. And yet I've noticed that it's so hard for us to hold on to that. How hard is it for us to understand that this is the mark of the kingdom? We've built into our expectation that these don't happen. How many of you have ever really struggled? You can be honest. I'll put my hand up too. How many of you have ever struggled with the idea that we would pray for people to see and they see? Or pray for people to hear and they hear. How many of you have, have, have ever struggled 
with this idea that the miraculous is part of what it is that the church is supposed to do. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. And we have this idea of, uh, or this worldview that filters these things out, don't we? Have you ever read these passages and you get to the end and you're like, well, what is, I mean, I keep asking this question in midpoint. What does Jesus want a disciple to do, right? Those of you who are in midpoint, you're sick of that question probably. But have you ever read these and you go, well, Jesus wants us to be nice. Or Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. Those things are true, and yet it's explicit, right? These are the things that mark the kingdom. But we filter them out. We live in a culture that filters these out. You ha- we all have this sort of like lenses that we see things through that says these things don't happen anymore. Never mind the fact that you know, a chapter before, Jesus commissions the 12 disciples and says, hey, when you go, do these things. But we go, yeah, but, you know, they were the, the disciples, right? They were the guys, right? They, they changed them to apostles after, you know, like at some point, right? None of us really know where that change happened. You know, these are the guys. Never mind the fact that in Luke, a few chapters later, he sends 72 others that don't really get names, and says, go do this stuff. Never mind the fact that at the end of Matthew, when Jesus commissions the guys, he says, go teach them all the things I taught you. Never mind the fact that Paul all the time is saying, here's healing is one of the gifts. Here's prophecy is one of the gifts. Here's the, all of these things are supposed to continue to happen. And if you sit down and read the New Testament... From Matthew all the way to uh, Revolution. Man, (laughs) we take that one out of the podcast right there. All the way to Revolution. (laughs) Just checking to see if you're awake. Uh, But from Matthew to Revelation, if you pay attention to all the places where this stuff is talked about, what you'll come away with is this is part and parcel of what it is to be people of the kingdom. And yet our culture says, well, these things don't happen anymore. Do you see that there's a lens that you look through that filters all this stuff out? Like your Instagram, right? You know how you can take the green or the red or the blue out? You guys know about Instagram? <laughs> if you have one of these, there's, don't get on it. If, you, if you're not on it, don't. It's a hole. You'll never get out of it. But what I'm trying to say is, I would imagine that this worldview is something that most of us have to fight through to be kingdom people in the world. If we fight at all, that we have to fight against this idea that these things don't happen anymore. We grow comfortable with things in the kingdom that we can control. We grow comfortable with throwing little outreaches that we have power over. Not that outreaches are bad, don't mishear me. But we get really, really comfortable with doing things that don't require the Spirit of God to show up. And here's the problem with a Christianity like that. It's not different than any other philanthropic organization. You can be in the United Way and do the same thing. You can be in the Boys and Girls Club and do the same thing. And if we hold a Christianity like that, For long enough, what we abandon is Jesus and we become, we just do good things for people. There's supposed to be something different. Let me explain a little bit. 
and then I'll wrap it up. When Jesus came on the scene, if you want to uh, read a book on this, uh, Tom Holland wrote a book called Dominion. It's, it's a doorstop. But if you really like to read, it's about 550 pages. Really good book about the culture of, of the first century and leading up to the first century. But when Jesus came on the scene, it was not a good thing to care for the poor and marginalized. It was not a good thing. It was actually seen as weakness. If you cared for because they couldn't do anything for you. And so the poor, the sick, the immigrant, the woman, if you were a baby, whether you're born or unborn, you have no value or status or standing unless you can do something for me. And so these people were lesser people in, in the first century. And Jesus shows up and he says, nope, the kingdom of God is different. All people have value in the kingdom of God. All people matter in the kingdom of God. And so these early Christians who became followers of Jesus said, well, we are kingdom people. We know in the kingdom that the weak and the poor and the marginalized have value. And so we are going to explicitly care for those people. That's good news is preached to the poor. And so the early followers of Jesus, they adopted babies who were left out to die. The early followers of Jesus were people who cared about unborn babies. The reason is because if you are going to terminate it, we'll take it. Because God cares about life. The early followers of Jesus were all about rights for women and, and, and elevating women from possession to people. The early followers of Jesus cared for the poor. The early followers of Jesus were the ones who welcomed the immigrants. That's the, that's the nature of the kingdom. But they did all of these things while also doing the miraculous. Healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. They did all of these things at the same time. They cared for the marginalized and they did the miraculous. And over the centuries, it became in vogue to take care of the poor. Because what pagan societies learned is that if I take care of the poor, they pay me back in loyalty. And so it became a thing. Our value of caring for the marginalized actually became a wider cultural value. Do you see that everywhere now? Do you see there's all kinds of people that care about all kinds of uh, marginalized people groups? And you don't have to be a Christian anymore to do that. It's not seen as weakness. And so over time, Christians sort of let go of the miraculous because it's weird. We don't really know what to do. We're kind of a little bit uncomfortable. We don't have any control. And we just started doing the same things. And the fact of the matter is, we do the same things they do. We care about immigrants like they care about immigrants. We care about unborn the way some of them care about unborn, right? We care about these marginalized people, but somehow we say we're different. The only thing that ever made us different was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled us to do miraculous things that take place in the kingdom. That's the only thing that makes us different anymore. And if you let go of that, eventually what you end up doing is letting go of Jesus and saying, well, we can do all of this for the sake of the common good, right? And I don't need Jesus to do all that. I'll just found another organization and I could name a whole bunch and I won't alienate any of you, but... We can name all kinds of organizations that do a lot of the same things that the church does, right? What makes us different? Listen, we can't forget that this whole thing, the trajectory of this whole thing, following Jesus, ends with Jesus returning as the rightful king of the kingdom of God, which overtakes the kingdom of darkness. 
that this place will one day be the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. That's the aim. And so we live as kingdom people in that place, and we do kingdom things in that place. The kingdom of God doesn't fit within our expectations. And if we constantly find ourselves in places where we're not living in that dependency, we're probably not doing much to move the kingdom forward. If all we do is social programs and all we do, not that those are bad, don't mishear me, please. If all we do is another outreach and another caring, and I love the fact that we're going to do this parents' night out, but that's something that anybody could do, right? We could all just sort of like, hey, we'll take care of your kids while you go have a date. What makes us different? It's the fact that we live into this space where we expect the Spirit of God to come and do something. And all of us are a little bit afraid to be in those spaces, right? It's a scary spot to say, I'm going to pray for you to be healed. And if you've ever tried to do that, you know when you put your hand on somebody's leg or shoulder or whatever, you know you don't have any power to make that happen, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're not sitting here like, I got a magic bag of beans and if I put them on your, <laughs> let me rub this ointment on your shoulder, I got icy hot and that'll help. <laughs> if you've ever tried to do it, you realize how terrifying it is. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and do it, you're going to look like a fool. Have you ever tried to do that in public? It's terrifying. For me. <laughs> it's terrifying to do this, and yet that's the spot that we're called to be in. We're called to live in this place where if the Spirit of God doesn't show up, we're going to look like idiots, right? Because we believe this crazy thing. Let me say it in a different way. We all face this discomfort, pressing into kingdom things. And yet, that's the, where the kingdom of God demands that we live. But as a people, our biggest threat is not stepping into something miraculous and failing. Our biggest threat is succeeding wildly at things that don't matter. That we would be a people who are really good at pulling off cute little events and nice little things for the community, and yet they're never marked with power. You know what has caused the slide is that the power in the church has ceased. And you see people over and over and over going, I don't need to be a Christian to do these things. The fact of the matter is, we're called to something else. We're called to be a people that demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God as a present reality. Is that the sense that you have for your life? Or could your life be marked by just a pagan organization? Are you really good at being nice, but there's no power on the things that you do in your life? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.